Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Tim Schmoyer, and we'll explore how to get videos discovered on YouTube. I think you're going to find this conversation very fascinating. By the way, if you want to reach me, you can contact me on Instagram at Stelzner or email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip. This week I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found a really cool tool that's going to allow you to curate a whole bunch of URLs together in one place and then share it out. It's called the URList or the URList. Why would you use this? So I can think of a number of different reasons, but one of the ones that came to me that they don't explicitly state in their site is, you know how you're limited to one link out on your Instagram profile. Right. You could create a large list of URLs, like all the different things that you offer, bundle them up in the URL list, and then take that URL and make it your bio link. Got it. And I know there are lots of services. I think we've even talked about others Mm -hmm. that do something similar to this. What is it about this that maybe makes it different than the rest in your opinion? Yeah. So that is actually not even a primary use I would have suggested, but it's actually a really cool optional way to use it. This for me is like, for example, I could say, here are the 10 podcasts that I'll never unsubscribe from. And I could drop in the URLs to all those podcasts, create that URL, and then I could share it out on social. I could curate, you know, I could say, hey, we get a lot of people who ask us for the top five, you know, Facebook ads experts. And I would grab their website, and drop it in here. And then I would create that URL and then always have it on hand to be able to say, yeah, go check out these five people. Here's the, here's the links to all of them. Like, it's a list builder meets a blog yeah. basically. Yeah. It's, it's less of a blog, but it's in there. And yeah, be, well, it is partially a blog because you can go in and as you drop each link in, you can then edit the description and even add in some more metadata into the link. I dropped the link to my podcast in there and it brought in my cover art automatically. So it definitely parsing for the metadata that's available on the websites of the URLs you're compiling into here. So do you have to like create an account and then basically each page can have its own list or how does that work exactly? Well, you can create an account and then that allows you to then tweak the URLs. You can then start to give them like different, you know, you can you can edit the the names of the lists, you can edit the URLs themselves and then have them much more uniquely situated in terms of your sharing. 
Okay. It's free and it's very easy to use. And it's going to be one of those things that like, hey, if link space and, you know, if you want to share one link out there and you can only do that on certain social channels, this is the option for you to share a whole bunch of stuff all in one link. Fascinating. Where do we find this thing? It's easy to find. All you need to do is go to the URLIST.com. And I guess I forgot to ask, is it free? Yep. It's definitely free. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. And now for my interview with Tim Schmoyer. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Tim Schmoyer. If you don't know who Tim is, he is a YouTube expert and host of the Video Creators Podcast. His YouTube channel has 500,000 subscribers who look to him regularly to help understand video and creation and marketing. And his course, which I strongly recommend, is called Video Labs. Tim, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's fun to be here. So today, Tim and I are going to explore how to get your videos discovered on YouTube. Now, before we go there, Tim, a lot of people in our audience are all in on Facebook and maybe some of the other social platforms, but they might have forgotten about YouTube. So talk to us a little bit. Why should we as marketers take a second maybe glance at this big old platform known as YouTube? Yeah, well, there's a a lot of reasons for that. I, I think one of the the biggest reasons is that YouTube is owned by Google itself, right? And we're seeing more and more video content popping up in Google's search engine. So now when people are searching for results right on Google, it's not only just blog posts and text-based articles we're getting. We're seeing a lot of mixed media content there, including a lot of YouTube videos. And so one of the best ways to rank on that first page of Google is not only to have a really great website, but also to create video content that can potentially perform there as well. So we're seeing a lot lot of video content ranking really well on Google, as well as YouTube being the second largest search engine on the planet, second to Google itself. And so if you're not making content for the second largest search engine, that seems to me like a pretty big missed opportunity as well. Like you can compete in Google, which is great, but there's a lot going on in YouTube and a lot of people searching for things there in ways that are different than what they would search for on Google. They're searching for different types of content there and different types of videos. And so there's a lot of opportunity to, to pick up a lot of traction there. And I've also been hearing a lot of stories about people recently, mostly saying, saying that like, 
hey, I've been doing a successful website for a long time, like my blog and my and my company's website's been going great. I'm making a full-time income off of it and our business is growing. But then when I started doing YouTube, <laughs> they're like, this brought in like more revenue than any other part of my business. And I have uh, several clients who actually sold their blog, even though they had like full-time income and supporting them and the team, they sold the blog and just kept the YouTube channel because they were saying for them, it was converting a lot higher because they do a better job at making the viewer feel like they're hanging out with them, that they're building human connection with them and actually showing them what they were doing, demonstrating how products works, making quote unquote eye contact with the viewer, as opposed to just kind of like writing about, you know, here's what we're doing. And, and that's not to say that's maybe everyone's going to get those same results, but definitely seeing people being able to rank videos higher, get higher conversions and really start dominating on the second most popular search engine on the internet. Let's talk about the size of the addressable audience and how much time people are spending on YouTube. Do you have any of those stats off the top of your head? Oh, yes. Again, that's actually like a common pushback I get when I talk about this. People are like, yeah, but YouTube's so saturated now and like it's too hard to get in. Like, is there, is this still worth it? I have YouTube channels themselves that are doing 15 million views a month to 60 million views a month. And I know people who have gone from 400 subscribers, 100,000 subscribers in a year and 20,000 subs to 1.4 million in subs in just a few months. And so it takes work to grow it just like it's like a like a blog or anything, but it's totally possible. There are now there's billions of people active logged in viewers every month on YouTube, not just people who are kind of passively going to the, to the website, but people who are actively subscribing to channels, watching channels, commenting, engaging, following channels, billions of them. How much time are they spending? Like, do you have any data on what the average session duration is? Cause it's not like Facebook where it's mere minutes, right? Yeah, it's actually been going pretty quickly in a couple of different categories. Uh, YouTube reaches more US consumers 18 to 49 years old on average week than all cable television networks combined. And they're spending more than 250 million hours per day watching YouTube on their televisions, like 39% than this time last year. So what we're seeing is like, if you ever wanted to have your own television show, like right now, this is a great opportunity to do that. There's a lot of people who are just skipping Google, going straight to YouTube to find what they need. And unlike Google, where they're kind of looking for something and then getting off on YouTube, they're like, let's just hang out here, watch content. And you know, you got 2 billion active logging viewers every month, uh, which is up 5% from just nine months ago. So it's growing very, very quickly. What about the demographics there. though? Is it just kids or is it people of all ages? Oh, people of all ages. I mean, we've, uh, I worked with one channel. They had about 400 subs when they started and she was actively trying to target women 60 years old and over. And it was a lifestyle channel and started with 400 within a year. She had passed a hundred thousand subscribers, millions of views a month, reaching 60 plus year old women. So they are definitely there. And it's a very, very broad audience all the way from, you know, kids less than one year old to my grandparents. <laughs> They're all there. Well, and I will tell everyone that uh, we at Social Media Examiner realized that this is an opportunity for us and for so many of you right now. And we are doubling down our commitment to creating original content for YouTube. And if that's any signal to you, maybe you should pay close attention to the types of things that Tim is going to be talking about and the things that he regularly talks about. So many people listening to us are going to be familiar with Google and how it works. How is YouTube mm -hmm. different? 
Yeah, there's a lot of people who come to their YouTube strategy basically just kind of copying their Google strategy. And I get the assumption like, hey, they're owned by the same company. They probably follow a lot of the same rules and principles. And in some regards, that's true. But there are very different platforms that function very differently. And in order to be discovered on one, it's a lot different than than the other. So, for example, like just picture in your mind, like Google.com next to YouTube.com. They're drastically different. Like one, all it is is a search box. And maybe a few links at the top, you know, for your account and things like that. For the most part, though, it's just a blank page with a search box in the middle. The other page has a ton of things going on. It's got this big ad right at the top. It's got a search bar, but it's kind of like it's at the top, but it's kind of hidden. Like it's not the only thing that stands out to you. There's tons of videos there that Google or that YouTube thinks that you'd be interested in and just trying to get you to start a viewing session and just start browsing. And there's a lot different. Viewer behavior is a lot different. Like people don't usually go to Google just to kind of like, hey, let's go see what's on Google today, <laughs> you know, and and browse around. There are some places where you can do that. But by and large, it's not like you just go there to browse. Google wants you to kind of like they want to deliver results for you and either answer the question for you very quickly right there on their site or get you off to another site that can give you a more in-depth answer that you're looking for. YouTube is selling their own products. They have YouTube TV. They have YouTube Premium. There's no like channels that you follow kind of, you know, like on Google, like as there is on, on YouTube, at least now that Google reader is gone, I'm still grieving that. <laughs> but One is based on text. One is based on visuals and images and video. And a really major difference is just how people discover content. Like on YouTube, Google will just start putting the right videos in front of the right people. Like they're not even searching for it. It's like, hey, here's a video you're watching and we think you might like this one next. And they'll post it as a post it as a suggested video. They'll put it on the homepage there for you. Very much like Netflix, right? I mean, Netflix will make recommendations on content for you to watch and YouTube does the same, right? Yeah. YouTube has a few different goals and th their goals are like, how do we get people back to YouTube? What do people watch when they're here? And then what keeps people on this platform the longest? Those three things. And so they are trying to get people to come back to YouTube and then they want to know what videos people are watching and then how do we keep hold their attention? How do we keep them here? And so as marketers ourselves, like for us to really win at YouTube, it's really important for us to craft content that does that, that brings people back to the platform. They come back looking for our videos on specific days and then keeps them there longer. So we, there's different tactics we can do that will help increase all those metrics with our with our content. But coming back to the original question, like they, they really do function differently and you can't just kind of assume that what worked from Google in terms of like keywords and tags and things like that is necessarily what's going to work in growing your channel on YouTube. Now, a lot of people listening right now are also very familiar with Facebook. How is YouTube different than Facebook? What do we need to know about that? Well, on Facebook... Normally, people aren't going to Facebook searching for like, how do I fix my lawnmower's battery? Or how do I change this battery or right. something like that? They're not doing that as much on Facebook as they are on YouTube. On Facebook, people are just kind of scrolling through and they see a video that catches their eye and the opening seconds of that video look enticing. You know, they'll stop and watch. On YouTube, they're usually looking for content at first and then they start just kind of browsing after that. Perfect. All right. Well, you kind of alluded a little bit to my next question, but let's dig into it. Uh, many of the marketers listening right now do desire to do more on YouTube. And obviously, the key thing that we want to try to accomplish is when we make a video, we want it to be discovered somehow, some way on YouTube. 
and you kind of alluded at some of the discovery ways um, you mm-hmm. said that you can search. What other ways can a video be discovered? And then let's get into like a little bit of those YouTube goals that we were talking about. Like how can a video be discovered on YouTube? Let's just start there. Yeah, there's a lot of different opportunities to be discovered on YouTube. There's people searching for content. There's people who are just browsing content, going from like one suggested video to the next. People can get into a playlist of videos and just start discovering videos that are in that playlist. There's the homepage of content that YouTube thinks like, hey, this is for you. This is you're here. You want to watch something? Let's put our best foot forward to really capture your attention. We'll put that on the homepage. And uh, there's just a lot of ways to be discovered, including collaborations and things like that. So how we get YouTube to suggest our videos is kind of like how we help them accomplish those three goals of getting people back to YouTube and getting them to watch and and holding their attention longer so that people ultimately end of the day are engaging with as many videos as possible, subscribing to as many new channels as possible and seeing as many ads as possible, which is really what they're all about. So let's talk about each of those goals. Uh, Goal number one is to bring people back. What does that mean exactly? This is uh, in your YouTube analytics. Often you can tell what's happening here by looking at your traffic sources and going to browse features. And the browse features, you'll see the type of traffic you're getting from the YouTube homepage where people just browsing. And so YouTube will put right on the homepage the content that they think people are coming back looking for. Often these videos have broad appeal, but it could be like, hey, yesterday you spent you know half hour watching new videos from Social Media Examiner. And Google's like, they must be on a big Social Media Examiner kick right now. So let's put more of those videos on the homepage for that person. Got and it. So they come back to YouTube. YouTube thinks like, hey, they, they want to probably see more of this. Or it could be like more practically, how do we influence this ourselves? Like maybe a viewer knows that when they come back to YouTube, YouTube figures out when they come back every Tuesday and Friday, They are looking for social media examiners, new videos, because every Tuesday and Friday, Mike publishes a new video. This person knows that. And YouTube learns like when they come back on these days, they are looking for social media examiner. So let's save them the trouble and let's just put social media's new videos right in front of that person on Tuesdays and Fridays. So having a posting schedule can be really helpful for getting your videos to the homepage so that Google knows when to promote your videos and push them there for those diehard audience. Got it. The consistent production of video on our certain day over and over again could be an incentive to bring people back to YouTube. And that will be rewarded if YouTube can assess that that's the reason why they're coming back. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, it's a principle. It's not like a guarantee, obviously, but it it works similarly to the same way. Like my wife loves Survivor. And so she knows when that TV show is coming on, she rearranges her schedule to be in front of the TV when it airs. And it's Wednesday nights at eight, by the way. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, how do you help people make your YouTube videos part of their weekly routine? And so maybe for you, it's like, hey, we want people to have something new to watch every time they sit down to eat lunch at their desk in their office, right? Right. And so we want to be part of that routine. And so making your content part of that weekly routine really helps YouTube know like how people are interacting with your content so that they know when to promote you to the homepage and get you just straight there. So when they come starting their viewing session with YouTube, you are right in front of them and you're the first video they watch. That's really valuable. So what was the second goal that you said? Yeah. Second goal is, well, what, what do people watch when they're actually here? And so that's measured in YouTube analytics by watch time, which is essentially 
how much time does someone spend watching your videos and, and people collectively overall? When we surface this video, do people watch it? Do they not watch it? Like, are they clicking through and getting engaged? And if they do, are they staying here for like two seconds and leaving, 10 seconds and leaving? Or are they staying around for a full 10 minutes? And the amount of time that people spend watching a video is one of the primary ways that Google determines how valuable is this video. It doesn't have as much to do with tags and keywords and things because a lot of people lie in that metadata and are use misleading metadata or just don't know how to use it in general and just leave a blank. So YouTube's like learned like they can't rely on that. Instead, they can rely on the human signals that they pick up and how people are responding to the content. Content. And one of the primary ones is, as we're doing, how much time do people spend watching this content? And so the key thing that we can do with that is there's a, in your analytics, there's a graph called audience retention. And in the audience retention graphs, you can see exactly how people are responding to everything in your content. Like, for example, we, we work with one guy and uh, whenever he would say the word module, there'd be like, Bloop, just like a little drop in his audience retention graph. Really? And people will just leave. Yeah, whenever you say the word module, people will just leave. I don't know. It's just it's a turn off to a lot of people. And so we were like, hey, we kind of noticed this pattern. Let's stop saying the word module and see what happens. And his very next video, his graph really flattened out. People watched longer. He got more watch time on his uh, videos after that, which helped his videos perform better because now Google is like, hey, these must be more valuable. And it's not always as clear cut and dry as that. But the top creators that I know that are doing like 60 to 100 million views a month, a lot of them know their audience retention graphs so intimately, it's like a science. Like one friend of mine, uh, Grant Thompson from The King of Random, he told me, he's like, Tim, I have my checklist for how to edit one of my videos and it's 80 some pages long. And he's like, is that the point that I can give anyone who knows the mechanics of editing video, plus my raw footage and my checklist, if they follow the checklist, I get back a video that's 100% every single time. And that's because he studied those graphs and he knows his content so well. Like another friend of mine, Jeremy, is from J House Vlogs. He knows exactly how many seconds he can talk before people leave the content, how many seconds his wife can get away with talking, how many seconds he can go before he needs to show another clip of one of his kids, what type of music is going to impact audience retention and for how long he can use like a specific genre of music. Like these guys, they study these, these graphs and they know it like a science. And so when they're crafting their videos, they know how to craft them in a way that holds their audience's attention so that they get the watch time that they need that holds that viewer to the end of the video. So there's a lot that goes into that, but the watch time is a big deal. So obviously everyone listening is going to have varying lengths of video. Some might be three minutes, some might be 15 minutes, some might be 10 minutes. What is a good retention graph look like? Like what percentage of our audience, you know, getting near the end of the video is considered good by your experience having worked with so many different video creators. Yeah, it, it really varies. And so like, for example, if you're going after, let's say you have two-year-olds watching, it's like a kid channel. Well, that's going to be a very different viewing session than a 30-year-old guy who just wants to learn how to fix his car, you know, right. fixes. So where you're located makes a difference too. Like if your audience is primarily in India, well, that's going to be a lot different than if they're in the UK and America and Australia, for example, and Canada. So the general rule of thumb that we shoot for, and again, this is very general, is we want to see like, can you get 50% of the audience to the end of the video? 
So in other words, half the people who clicked play on that video, are they still watching when that video ends? To the very, very, and, very end of the video or till when kind of the logical end is, right? Because sometimes you have end screens and all that stuff, right? Right. The, well, the goal, and that's the next thing, how do you keep people watching longer? You want to get half the people who click play to the end so that they're there and still watching when the end screens come on. Otherwise, what people unintentionally do is they, they just kind of copy what they're used to, which is television, and they start doing a lot of sign-offs, a lot of good farewells, goodbyes, hope this was helpful, let me know what you think, see you guys in the next one. You know, all that, all those are very strong signals to the viewer that this video is over, there's no more additional value coming, you may safely abandon it now. Right. And often people give those signals, creators give those signals even before the like the end screens come on. And so you, you, even if you hold a, the viewer's attention, as soon as you say, Hey, thanks for watching or something like that. Boom. People are leaving the video. You can see it right in your graph. It's like a drop, like a cliff. Everyone leaves. And then when you want them to watch another video, they're no longer there to take that action. And so we tell people like, stop telling people they can leave. <laughs> like it's not television. It's YouTube. They don't have to leave you yet. So instead, like just keep delivering good content to the very end. And then once the end screens are already displayed and on the video, then if it's an educational type of content, then just like say, now that you guys know this, the next thing you really need to know is this principle. So I'm going to take it to the entirely new level. Click this video you see on your screen right here, and I'll see you guys over the next video. And they can see what the video is. So you're, you're pointing to the space on the screen where that video is. You're giving a little bit of a pitch for it. Like, here's why you need to keep going. And you just don't give them permission to leave. It's like the sales tactic that if you talk about the product from the perspective as if the customer has already made the transaction, they're more likely to actually make that transaction. And we're kind of doing that same thing here. Like talk about the video as if you're assuming they're just going to keep going with you and they're more likely to actually keep going with you. And we've seen clients that we work with go from uh, like an average click-through rate. It's around 0.7 to 1% we've seen. But I mean, you start doing like this type of thing, holding people's attention, getting the end, getting them to click. The click-through rate, one of our clients is doing like 42% click-through rate, which is people who get to the end of the video and click on the end screen to click and watch another video. I see. Got it. So you're getting someone who just gave you the maximum amount of watch time on video A. That's your most valuable viewer slash customer. Like, so rather than going after more and more views, like let's just take the views slash customers we already have and turn them into a better viewer slash customer, like taking that principle, if that makes sense, and yep. getting them to click and watch another one and watch another one and watch another one. And what happens is, as you grow a library of content on YouTube that's doing this, it's like pff, your whole channel just gets a lift and really takes off. We've, we've seen people go from uh, like one client we work with 2000 subscribers a day to over 39,000 subscribers per day. And they just blew past million subscribers, 2 million subscribers, just kept growing. And 90 some percent, 93% of that traffic was coming from the homepage. So you said YouTube has three goals. Number one is, is to bring people back. Therefore, we should create video that brings people back. Number two, was getting people to watch video, if I'm not mistaken. What's number three? How do you keep people watching YouTube longer? And so one way to do that is to get them to click on that end screen and watch another video. Or better yet, getting them into a short playlist of content where they can not, they watch not only one video, but they could watch a second and a third and a fourth video and keep going with you more and more. And as you do that, the content is more likely to become suggested to your content, which means more viewers staying on your content and your videos. And so it's really important that we get them to watch, but at the end, we don't just let that viewer go. Then we do that third thing, which is how do we keep them watching YouTube longer and getting them into more content? Now, there's some marketers listening right now that'll be like, well, wait a second. That feels a little 
opposite of what the goal of marketing is, right? The goal of marketing <laughs> is to get them to go off and buy your product. So what do you want to say right. to that? Yeah, this is, I love that, this question. Um, I'll go through it kind of briefly. So another story, one guy, same thing. He, he was doing okay. He was uh, doing a video every weekday, five videos a week. And the goal of every video was basically hey, go buy this thing from my website. And it was doing okay. He was doing, I think the videos themselves were generating around $20,000 a month for his business. And we said, how about let's change that? Let's make the goal of every video to actually grow the channel and get people to watch more content. But once a week, you're doing five videos a week. So we said, once a week, how about you just make one video a week that's just dedicated strategically to get the heck off of YouTube and go to my website and buy this thing. And so he did that. He started making most videos that were oriented to holding people's attention, getting to the end, clicking and watching another video. And his whole channel saw a tremendous lift. Uh, it started seeing, uh, I think his, his growth like almost doubled pretty quickly within the course of a few weeks. And then we asked him about sales and he's like, Tim, I'm so glad you told me to stop trying to sell in every video. He said, when we started focusing on just trying to provide value through really like valuable content, getting them to watch more, consume more. He's like, when we strategically made one video a week that the primary goal of this video is to deliver value that leads into a sale. He's like, we went from doing $20,000 a month to a hundred thousand dollars a month. <laughs> First of all, he grew his channel. So he had a bigger audience when he did pitch right, to yeah. pitch to. Am I right? That's part of it. Yeah. His channel was growing. But also, I think there was a little bit of a different feeling about his brand where it wasn't like, oh, every video here is a commercial. But it kind of started to feel like I could actually consume a lot of this guy's material without feeling like uh, he's just here to sell me something, which grows to know, like, and trust factors a lot more. People got a lot more value. They consumed it a lot easier. But then one of the biggest contributors is like he was trying to do accomplish too many goals with each piece of content. Every video he wanted to get a lot of views. Number two, get a lot of subscribers. Number three, generate a lot of sales. Number four, like rank number one in search and then do well on Reddit. And he was like, hold on, like we don't do that anywhere else in marketing world where we have like 15 goals for one piece of content. Like let's make each piece of content revolve around a very specific goal. So the goal of this video is to be discoverable. So let's make high value content that people can click and watch and consume even if they've never heard of you before. They don't care about you or your brand yet. They only click because the title and thumbnail suggested some sort of value or story that was of interest to them. They clicked, they're watching, and now they get introduced to your brand and they're like, hey, I want more. They get to the end. You get them to click and watch another video. They start consuming more of your content. And so his channel started growing, but I think the quality of the viewer he was getting, like he was kind of conditioning them better so that when the sales video came, they were getting good content, good value. And that wasn't like a commercial. It was like he was still teaching something. And then at the end, he's like, you know, and so take this to the next level, buy this thing. And he's like, my channel grew and my revenue grew too by strategically crafting each video to accomplish a specific goal, whether that be community, discoverability, or sales were the three main ones. To help people understand why this is so important, I want to use a blogging example. So we're a very big blog, as you know. Social Media Examiner has about 14 million you know, readers a year. And we, at the end of our blog posts, do not ever tell people to go buy anything. Instead, we tell them to get something for free to by subscribing. So what we're encouraging them to do is to get on our email newsletter so that they get the next article and they don't miss out. And that philosophy that I'm growing a subscription audience, that I'm going to be delivering more free, valuable, commercial-free content to, is why we add like 15,000 email subscribers a month to our email list. And it's the exact same 
thing that Tim is talking about, except in this case, the subscriber is via YouTube. And instead of the content being a blog, it is video. And then every once in a while, we can send out a dedicated email in the same way Tim suggests every once in a while doing a dedicated sales video. So the philosophy, I think, is more easy to comprehend when you compare it that way. What are your thoughts on that? No, that's exactly the same way I explain it. Although instead of using a blog, I use like an email list. Right. Same way you give them the lead magnet that they sign up for, good free, something really super valuable. They get into it, but you don't try to sell them right away, like the very first email. Well, usually, sometimes that works, but it's generally like, it's really good, valuable content. And then let's give you three, four, five emails that are intended to like grow the no like and trust factors, still high value. And then those lead into addressing a problem that is then solved by your product or service. And that's the same, essentially the same philosophy we're bringing over to YouTube. Instead of email subscribers, though, it's with YouTube subscribers. So very similar. Okay, so we've already talked about how YouTube rewards the right types of videos, right? The ones that people watch the longest, the ones that keep people on the platform watching other videos, and the ones that get people coming back to the platform. Now I want to kind of shift over to the mechanics of the videos themselves. Outside of these factors, are there other factors that help increase the likelihood that a video becomes discoverable, or is it just these three things? Those are the three main goals that YouTube's looking for. There are a few things that we can do to influence that, like we've already talked about in terms of posting schedule, and watch time, audience retention, and then click-through rates on our end screens and playlists and things like that get people to watch longer. But the main two things in terms of the content itself that we can control are, one, the content itself, which is like the video people actually watch when they click play. And then two, it's metadata around it, which would be like the title, the description, and tags, and, and things like that. And so a lot of people think that if you just slap on the perfect titles and tags and descriptions that your video is going to rank better in search, but it's not necessarily true because, I mean, video optimization worked that way many years ago, but Google got smart. As I mentioned earlier, like people just lie in their metadata and and Google realized that the best result for a search query isn't necessarily the video that repeated their keyword five times in the description and crammed it 14 different ways into the tags or something like that. So it's not really about tricking the algorithm anymore. Like the game on YouTube is definitely about rewarding viewers, keeping them engaged, and as opposed to just merely attracting clicks, but don't entice viewers to say. So you can get people to maybe click, but if they abandon your content really well, your video, or pretty quickly, your video will not rank well. It'll just die, you know? So the bigger thing is like, how do we actually optimize our videos for people, not for robots? Because the, the goal of the algorithm and the robots is really... What are people responding well to? What is holding people's attention? What do, what do people deem to be valuable based on how they interact with the content? And that's what the algorithms are designed to go after. So instead of us trying to figure out like, how do we hack the algorithm and trick it to do this? Like that is a really tough game and ultimately is like just really frustrating. It's a lot easier just to kind of like give yourself a break and be like, okay, winning on YouTube is not necessarily about hacking algorithms and cramming keywords into places. It's about rewarding viewers with the videos that you're providing, keeping them engaged and uh, doing a good job of that. For example, a few months ago now at this point, I was in a coffee shop doing some work with my daughter and she's six years old. And we have a thing with our kids. We, my wife and I have seven kids. We had seven kids in eight years. Woo. <laughs> but uh, we love them all. We're happy about it. And we have this thing with them. Like you can watch YouTube, but 
uh, we're not going to kind of just go down the mindless rabbit trail of some of the stuff. You, what do you want to learn? You got to be something educational. So my six-year-old's like, I want to learn how to draw a cat. And so I was like, all right. So I open up my iPad for her, open up the YouTube app, and I type in how to draw a cat. Well, the number one result that showed up was a video titled how to draw a cute husky puppy. What? What? That's odd. Like, why is that the number one search? There's no keywords about cats there at all. And my daughter's like, oh, that's a pretty kitty. I want to draw that one. And I was like, well, that's not actually a kitty. That's a, oh, okay. I guess we're watching this video, you know? And it was because the thumbnail, it looked like a cat. It didn't look like a husky puppy. I mean, it kind of did. If someone told you that was a husky, you'd be like, oh, okay, I can see that. But at a glance, it looked like a really cute kitty. And so Google uh, and YouTube specifically just learned that if someone wants to learn how to draw a cat, this is a relevant result, apparently, because whenever we show this video for how to draw a cat, people click and they watch the whole video and they keep watching more YouTube. So it wasn't necessarily about the keywords and the metadata. What's more important are the viewer signals that Google collects about our content uh, from the from people themselves. And so it comes back to what we talked about with, with watch time and session watch time and things like that. Now, metadata is still important, so I'm not like dogging on metadata and saying like, don't do any keywords or anything like that. Um, I, I think as long as we still use words as language, like words represent things. Words are like we just, if we're looking for a certain particular value, we are expecting to see certain words with that. And so again, even then it, it doesn't come down like, hey, your video is growing because you use the right keyword. It's like, no, your video is growing because you pitch the right value with your title to the right audience and they're engaging with that content. And so even then, the, the the metadata and the keyword stuff comes down to optimizing it for humans and not necessarily for the robots. And that's what makes the biggest difference. Just out of curiosity, do you find the sweet spot for a length of video? I know there's entertainment stuff and then there's the non-entertainment stuff. Let's assume we're not talking entertainment because this is marketing, right? Is there a certain length that seems to be ideal for YouTube? Because the reason I'm asking is because marketers, if they just do a talking head video, they can go long. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, like, especially if anybody's used to doing live video, like for example, this podcast would probably be too long, I would think for a YouTube video. So is there an ideal sweet spot that you found for those clients of yours that are producing B2B content? No, it, the better question isn't necessarily like how long should my video be? It's more how well can you hold someone's attention? And if you can hold someone's attention for 10 minutes, do it for 10 minutes. If you, your skills and content production, everything's at a point where it holds people's attention for two minutes, make them two minutes, right? You're not advocating hour long videos necessarily. You're saying two to 10 minutes. If people watch for an hour, then yeah, do an hour. I mean, some people won't commit to that. Like as a discoverable piece of content, they may or may not commit to that in terms of like, I've never heard of social media examiner before. Right. Uh, So like an hour, I don't think I have time to that. And so they might not click. Do you know what the average session duration is on YouTube? Is there any data on that? No, again, it varies greatly based on geography and age and content and genre and all. Do you have a, a sen- do you have a sense things. of it for America? I mean, from your own experience, are we talking like ten minutes, twenty minutes, something like that? No, um, unfortunately, we don't really have enough data to like say that. Hey, Americans will watch for this much, and Australians would watch for this long. It's it really has to do with how well do you tell a story that is about a character who wants something. 
and overcomes conflict to get it and is transformed by the process. And sometimes that story arc is actually your viewer's story. Like what do they want and what obstacles are they facing and how do you help them overcome that so that they experience the transformation that they want? All right. Let me ask you another question. YouTube Red, which is their paid subscription platform. How long are the shows on that platform? We know they're paying for those. It might be a signal. I mean, and I know those are probably all entertainment shows, but what are we talking? Half an hour? Oh, I mean, I know people who like Cobra Kai, they're kind of flagship premium show like that's I forget how many episodes 10 13 episodes each of them about 45 minutes long got it, got it. I binged that in two sessions two viewing sessions <laughs> so really okay I was sitting there for like four hours now it's a little different of a viewing environment it's a lean back experience on a television for me anyway a lot of people will do that on their phone but for me I was on the television so televisions tend to lean lend themselves to longer viewing sessions because it's a more passive viewing experience as opposed to like leaning in at your desktop or on your phone and you're not distracted, you're not multitasking, anything like that. So that makes a difference too. But yeah, I mean, remember 2012, the most viral video of all time at that time was Coney 2012. Do you remember that video? No, no. So it was a documentary. And uh, back then, 2012, people were saying, your video shouldn't be any longer than two minutes long. Anything longer than two minutes, you won't hold an audience. Everyone will leave. And it was still kind of the genre, like the days of people thinking about YouTube primarily being cat videos and funny pranks and stuff. And they here comes Coney 2012. It was at that time, the video to grow to a million views the fastest. Like it broke all the records in terms of how quickly it grew to a million views and beyond. And it was 30 minutes long. It was a 30 minute documentary and went to, I don't even know what it's at like now, but it was like, you know, hundreds of millions of views. And it was a 30 minute video and a time where everyone was saying no longer than two minutes, but it told a really good story. It held people's attention and that's why people watch. So it really comes down to like how good are your storytelling skills and how valuable is the data and the, and the, and the value you're providing in terms of how it holds people's attention. That's the primary thing. For what it's worth, we at Social Media Examiner have done two seasons of our show called The Journey, and we found that about five to seven minutes has been the sweet spot for the stuff that we're producing, and it's docu-entertainment almost, I think is the best way to describe it. It's got a little bit of educational factor, a little bit of documentary kind of stuff, and we are getting like 40 to 55% retention, depending on the episode, all the way to the end. And it is a process. It is not easy. (laughs) Like we sucked in the beginning, you know, and we still have a long, long, long way to go. But just share a couple quick tips as we close this out on things that we can do in the actual video. Like let's talk about hooks and stuff like that. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So there's there's a few things that we can control outside the content and the, uh, I feel like I'm contradicting myself where I said it was only the content and the metadata, but you, you can like affect a few other things. So that to get a little more specific is titles and thumbnails do make a very big difference in terms of how your video performs. I know that sometimes when we're crafting a video, it's easy because of television. When we turn on the television, the video is already playing. Whereas on YouTube, it does like people decide what, what they're going to watch based on the title and thumbnail. So the customer journey, so to speak, with our YouTube content doesn't start with the video itself. It actually starts with the title and the thumbnail. And so when someone sees that title and thumbnail, it sets an expectation for the viewer and they click because they have an expectation for that content. And so it's very important, especially with non-subscribed people who never heard of you before and are just watching due to the merit that the title and thumbnail pitched, they have an expectation that video needs to 
immediately affirm for that viewer that yes, you are in the right spot. The, the value you clicked expecting to get is coming in this video. So that means you can't open the content by like, hey, welcome to my show. My name is Tim and here I am hanging out with Michael Stelzner on the Social Media Examiner podcast and I am really glad that you tuned in. It, right here we are, it was like 10 seconds have passed and the viewer is like, I didn't get what I'm here for. And you will see your audience retention graphs, you'll see a really steep drop immediately. Like people, 10 seconds, like half your audience is already gone. <laughs> and so it's really important that if the title and thumbnail teases a story or a value that it opens delivering on that. Like, so for example, if my wife, we have seven kids, she's taking them all shopping and my wife knows like, Hey, we're going to, I'm going to go shopping with my seven kids. The title of this video is going to be mom goes shopping with seven kids alone. And maybe alone is in all caps. She knows like she can't start that video, like the refrigerator or the pantry showing like, Hey, we're out of food or I need to go shopping today or something. No, that video needs to start in the parking lot with her putting kids into the shopping cart, you know? And the thumbnail then would be like, she'll put all the kids in the shopping cart, she'll back up with the camera and take a picture, that will be the thumbnail of all the kids kind of hanging out of the shopping cart, right? And so the, it teases a story and she's like, why would anyone, like why would ever woman go shopping with seven little kids? You know, what happens there? Is that a mess waiting to happen? And so they click because it creates some intrigue and then the video delivers immediately as opposed to that scene that they clicked. Well, I could also imagine her screaming, yelling, to one of the kids to not grab the milk that's about to fall off the shelf or something, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you have kids. I see that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I could see something like that. That would be a good hook too. It's like, oh, I want to know what's happened, right? What's going to happen? Wouldn't that not be a good right. hook? Yeah. Or if it's more educational content, it's, right. it's the same principle, which is like how Mike grew his YouTube channel from zero to a hundred million subscribers in six months or something, <laughs> you know? And people I would like, like to what? watch like, that video. <laughs> How did that happen? You know, and so right. that video has to start with maybe motion graphics of your view counter on your channel going from like zero to like 100 million or something, you know, mm. so that people feel like they're in the right spot immediately. You can't talk with open with you kind of like thinking, looking like you're contemplating life, walking down right. like some scenic beach or something like that, right? right? You'll lose people. Right. So titles, thumbnails make a big difference. And as we've already said, they need to be optimized for humans, right? Then for humans, not for robots. The other thing that people kind of uh, make a mistake of is that they think that, hey, my video is awesome. Everyone should see this. But like people will determine whether or not they think that's awesome. And the, the real thing, the real thing that really needs to happen is that it can't be just good, valuable content, but the content needs to get people to care. And so they so they clicked because they wanted to see how Mike got to 100 million subscribers in six months. And but then through the course of that, if you want them to stick around, turn into a YouTube subscriber, which then turns into a customer or a client, you have to not just give good value, but you have to give like this this human connection that makes like, hey, I learned a lot, but I actually kind of like Mike and he seems like a cool guy. I feel like I could hang out with him, you know, so that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be all buddy buddy in every single video, but it does mean you should start incorporating some of these things like things into your brand, like your, your story, who are you and your creed, like, what do you believe and why does that matter to you? And it may be some like rituals, just things that people grow to love and expect in your content and uh, things like this that just kind of make people feel like I like hanging out with Mike. So it's not just about give the cold, hard, dirty facts and then end that video ASAP so it's the shortest video possible. 
actually we've seen like, hey, if the video is actually twice as long as it otherwise would because you included a personal story in there or you risk some vulnerability in case if that is appropriate or um, something like that, people stick around because a good story and a human connection will hold people's not only hold their attention longer, but it actually makes them more likely to come back and want to watch another video or listen to another podcast from Mike. So it's a, it's a balance there. It's just not all pure content and it's just not all per, pure personality. It's usually a combination Excellent. of those things that make it work. Excellent. Well, Tim, we could talk all day about this. And folks, I do want to strongly encourage you to check out Tim's work. I am an avid listener to his podcast, which I would love you to make a pitch for. But he also has incredible content on each of these little things that goes into so much more depth. So Tim, tell everybody where they can discover more about you and all the great stuff that you're you know, you've got out there. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I have a weekly podcast and it comes out every Tuesday. It's just search iTunes for video creators or Tim Schmoyer. It should pop up there. And uh, we're just all about helping creators and business owners just learn how to master the YouTube platform. So what I believe is this, it's getting views and subscribers and making money is important. But I like thinking of those things not as necessarily the goal, because I believe those are the goal could actually ruin your life. But if, if we see them as tools, then money, views, popularity, those are amazing tools we can use to reach people and impact their life and really make a difference. And so that's what we're about over at Video Creators, teaching people how to master YouTube so that they can have more and more of an impact and growing their business and the value of providing all at the same time. Where can they find your YouTube channel? YouTube channel is at youtube.com slash video creators. And we have a weekly video there every Thursday. It's just a training to help people do that same thing in a video format. Tell them about Video Labs, of which we are a student. Yeah, it was fun to have you guys. Yeah, Video Labs is an eight-week training with me and my team where we just walk you through the entire process of how do you set up optimize and craft content that grows, that gets views, that gets subscribers and converts them into sales and customers and ultimately reaches them and impacts their life with the value that you're providing. And so every week we're giving you a training that you're gonna watch and then we're getting into a live session with me and my team and we're talking through all your questions, helping you apply it to your channel and your goals and your audience and your situation and your budget and everything. And then uh, we're actually reviewing it with you and it's very hands-on and helping you not just learn how YouTube works, but actually working with me and my team to really get the results and the benefits that you really want from growing your channel by going through a process that we've taken, uh, I think we're getting close to a thousand creators and it's like, it's a lot of work, but the people who do the work see tremendous results. And I mean like explosive growth. Where do they find video labs? Yeah, they go to my website and videocreators.com. If you scroll down to the bottom, it's there at courses and you click on courses and you can find it there. We only do it a few times a year and we limit, we only do it with 27 creators at a time because it's very hands-on and uh, time consuming for our team. So we want to make sure we give each person as much time as we can. So we do limit how many people sign up. And so we do it about four times a year. And you can add yourself to the waiting list to get notified about the next one by going to our website there, videocreators.com slash video labs. Tim Schmoyer, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. By the way, if there's anything we mentioned in today's episode, you can get the show notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 364. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world.
The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.